The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. I'm Emily Nicole, fintech correspondent at Financial News. And today we're going to be discussing the pros and cons of the four-day working week and just how feasible it is for banks to adopt. I'm pleased to welcome Mark Mullen, Chief Executive of Atom Bank, to talk about it a little bit more. How are you doing today, Mark? Thanks for joining us. I'm very well, thank you, and it's lovely to be here. Great. Well, so for those who are unfamiliar, because we've got quite a broad audience listening to this webinar, um, can you tell us a bit more about Atom and what it is you do? Of course. So we're a, um, a fintech, a neobank, a challenger bank. There's lots of different labels that get attached. We're based in the UK, in the north of England. We employ 430 people. We started, uh, we founded this business in 2014. Um, we started trading in, in, in you know, 2016, 17. And we focus on loans to mortgage customers, loans to small businesses, and on, on retail savings and deposits. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we probably should kick this off by saying that you have recently transitioned to a four-day week. That's the inspiration for today's session. Um, and there's also no reduction in pay. And it, it, as according to you anyway, it makes you the largest UK company to have done this. So can you just give us a bit of an idea of what was behind that decision? It's a pretty big one. Sure. You know, at its most basic, we were inspired to um, to offer a, a clear and differentiated proposition to employees. Um, and, 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 and by one other thing, which was what we learned through the process of managing the business um, in, in a, if you like, a pandemic world. So, so fundamentally, how can we do something different, imaginative, differentiating, exciting to be a really attractive place to come and be and work? And secondly, what is the art of the possible? And what have you learned by managing your business through COVID? Because the pandemic really kind of shifted the way that everyone does business, but obviously for you it was fully remote for quite a long time. How does that look now? What have you What have you decided to keep on board since then? Well, we're still working to a fully flexible model, so we don't have any plans whatsoever to, if you like, mandate or insist that people return to physical physical environment. That's not the same as saying, you know, I don't like seeing my colleagues. I do like seeing my colleagues. I think there are definite health, social, and productivity benefits out of physical interaction because we're a social species. But we're trying to make ourselves as flexible an employer as you can possibly be. And here's the thing. If you'd spoken to me prior to COVID, uh, one, I had no plans whatsoever to move to a flexible or hybrid working model. Right? We were still everywhere coming into the office Monday to Friday, et cetera, et cetera. And two, I would have said that that the process of transitioning from a, an office-based environment to a fully flexible or homeworking environment would have taken many, many months. Turns out it took about it took about three days. Yeah, it was like shut your office, you're not going to work. Okay. And 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 then many months to get, if you like, to improve and to optimize and to stabilize. But you learn something from that about what is impossible and what actually isn't. 
And so that's been a particularly big inspiration for us as we look forward to what else can we do as a business to transform how we work together. Mm. And what was on your list? I'm sure you probably did, you know, pros and cons side for each side of this debate, because that's what a lot of businesses are thinking about now. Um, and what, what was on that list when you were deciding whether to make this transition? Well, firstly, I think you've got to get really clear about what your business is trying to achieve. And we've had lots of discussions with people over over weeks and months on this, right? Which is what's the most important things for us as a business? They are actually, in our view, about outputs or outcomes. At its most at its most theoretical level, we're in the business of creating outcomes. Yeah, outcomes are about profit, they're about customer engagement, they're about customer satisfaction, they're about growth, they're about, if you like, stability, resilience. Yeah. Outputs are, I guess, units of measure. How many calls per hour can we answer? How much service availability can we create? How many story points can we deliver in a sprint? And then they're, they're created by inputs. Yeah, so how many hours do people work? How many people do you have? What's the productivity ratio that you can achieve in a given role or for a given person? And so then when we're considering, you know, what the pros and cons of making a change from the five to the four day a week are, you can get stuck in the dogma of, oh my goodness, we're going down from 37 and a half hours to 34 hours. That's an expense to the business. You know, therefore we're going to have to compensate through productivity. Or actually you can start by focusing on the outcomes and the outputs. And it turns out that if you're obsessed about the outcomes and the outputs more than you're obsessed about the inputs, I think you're doing the right thing. Because actually that's what, that's what people come here to do. And it's very liberating. At least it's been very liberating for us. Because although we're, we're, you know, we're barely kind of, you know, a month into this program, we, we haven't seen any material deterioration in the outcomes or the outputs, which is pretty extraordinary considering that, you know, we've been running our bank in a particular way for the last seven years. And in one month, we've changed how we run it pretty radically. And right now, I can't tell you that I can identify material deteriorations in the outcomes or the outputs. And that, that's pretty, that's shocking in my view, because it opens up the possibility of, you know, other stuff that you might consider doing. And therefore, the pros and cons are all subject to what I've just said. Uh, but they're not about, well, the, the con is I'm losing a number of hours. I don't care as long as I'm at least maintaining my outputs and outcomes, right? And I don't have to get bogged down in the dogma of, you know, this, that, or the other, because what I'm trying to really, as I said, I'm, I'm really focused on the outcomes. Hmm. I mean, it, you mentioned as well, it's opening up a world of possibilities of what else might it, it is that you could do. You've already started this brand new territory with a four day week, and there's other things that you might consider. Do you have any of those that you might be able to share or things that you think you're, you're thinking about? Yeah, well, I think in common with a lot of, of, of employers, we're looking at, we have a building, right? For example, I'm actually calling uh, you from the building today because I needed to be absolutely certain I'd have a stable internet connection. <laughs> My home connection is a bit variable. So, um, and the building was, you know, commissioned for us to hold 500 people. Um, and today, I guess there's maybe 50 or 60 people in the building, I, you know, given the number of people in the car park. So we're rethinking what the building is for. Yeah, we've still got six years on the lease or six and a half years on the lease. 
at one level, it's irrelevant for decision-making. It's a sunk cost. At another level, I could spend time trying to offload the lease, and we might do that next year. But, you know, because I'm no longer willing to allow our business future to be linked to a physical premises. It's just not necessary for us to be bound by that limitation anymore. Um, or alternatively, I could rethink and reimagine what the building's for. And increasingly, I see it as a social engagement center for, for the Atten family. It can be a place you come and work because you want to get away or you want a better internet connection. It can be a place where you come and get fit. So we're putting a gym in the building. Um, at the moment, we're looking at various different tenders to put a fully kitted out gym in, in, in the building, which for a small business is a you know, significant investment. Um, or it can be a collaboration space, or it can be, you know, literally a social space. It certainly isn't going to be an office environment in the orthodox definition of what that used to be. And that's one example. And I know we're not alone in Athens in rethinking, what are we going to do with all this space? Um, but how can we think about it as a social connection venue, as opposed to it's a place to come and work? We clearly don't need it as a place to come and work. You know, we could do that using, you know, renting space by the hour or renting, you know, using WeWork or using one of those propositions. So now that we have it, we, you know, it almost forces us to reimagine and rethink what's it for and how can we best use it for the benefit of the people in the business. Yeah, because it's almost like, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, there are different elements as to why you would want a workplace environment, whether that's, you know, just the social environment of, of colleagues getting to know each other. But there's also kind of talk at the moment of how hybrid working might put certain people at a disadvantage. You lose that access to water cooler. Some people might not get the promotion thereafter. Opportunities arise and, and, and things that you might get just from being in an office. How would you negotiate all of that if you transition to a social environment? So I think that there's a big difference between creating a business. If I were founding a business today, let me, let me give you a practical example. There's no possible way that I would design the operational model around the physical location any more than I would design a bank that had branches or even a telephone banking contact center. I just wouldn't even dream of it, right? You, you skip the benefits of, of, of starting late are you, you take all the learning from previous generations and you just skip ahead. You get straight to the end. And the end of the moment is a completely flexible working model because the technology enables it. And if you were building that business uh, as an organically grown entity, you would have to figure out how you manage performance, how you manage absence, how you manage um, collaboration, how you manage reward and recognition, how you, in other words, you know that you don't have water cooler moments because you never designed them into your model in the first place. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility to look after the welfare of your employees, to look after data protection, to look after productivity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just means that the tools you're going to use to do it are different. So I would distinguish between the challenges that even a business like ours has to transition from one model to another as distinct from building a new model from scratch. I don't think that this would be difficult if we were building a new model from scratch because we'd have engineered in the processes, if you like, on the drawing board. So, so because we're not starting it from scratch, we absolutely have to be concerned about the points you've just raised. How do people not get missed? How do we not be, how, you know, how do we manage prejudice? How do we manage favoritism? 
How do we moderate the interactions between people so that there's fairness in our system, so that there's recognition and reward in our system? And I haven't got a glib answer for you on that, except to say that you have to increase some of the formalities with which you manage your business. In other words, hybrid working is not free for all, and four day relative to five days is not a free for all. It's not like saying, go away, do your own thing and come back. I don't buy that. It's actually, in some respects, it requires more discipline, more focus, more precision, more planning, and more formality. The benefit, of course, is that you've got more clarity about your engagement with people, what you've said, what you haven't said, what, you've, what expectations you're managing, how you're measuring performance and reporting it. And of course, you've got an extra day off a week. And the added flexibility of being able to work where you want, and, and to a large extent, when you want. So I think the trade-offs are worth making, but I think it's actually a more formal discipline than professionally managed company if you're going to do it on a 100% remote basis because you can't take things for granted that I'll bump into John in the corridor and I'll be able to catch up with them then. You've actually got to be more specific and more focused about that. And how much of your ability to do all this is stems from the fact that you are a startup, you are a fintech, because by nature, you are more agile than most businesses out there, most banks out there. So you're able to implement this quite quickly compared to them. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of factors that help us. I think the youth of the business helps us. The, the, the actual business model and operational model helps us. The fact that our technology is running in the cloud anyway helps us. And the fact that it's a self-service model, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you have to respect the fact that different businesses, whether they're fintech or technology-based or not, are going to be able to do things like this to a greater or lesser extent. And you got to be careful to respect that because nobody wants anyone who's sitting in the corner being smug about what you can do when, in fact, they'd love to do it, but they just can't. Some of those can't do's are about legacy. They're about technology limitations or they're about... Frankly, I've got a branch that I've got a staff, at least for now. Some of them are about physical um, uh, consumption of, of, of product and service. Yeah, you know, uh, explain to me how a hairdresser or a barber is going to be able to deliver their experience remotely or in a fully flexible way. They're, they're just not, okay? So, so it is very possible for us, not just because we're a bank, but also because of the business model, the strategy, the operational model that we use, as well as the relative size and the youth of the company. Um, on the other hand, really, really big companies have demonstrated an ability to react dramatically in the face of the pandemic. And a lot of the orthodoxy about what wasn't possible has proven to be absolute rubbish. It is possible for even very, very large businesses to respond very dramatically in a given set of circumstances. I think we've learned a huge amount, actually, as a business community over the last 20 months, 24, whatever it will be. And the real questions then come down to philosophy, much, much more about philosophy and control than they are about will. I think people who choose not to do this are more likely to make that choice because they don't want to. And how far away do you think that is for, for other companies, banks or companies even outside of finance? Because as, as you said, you're kind of the largest company to do this in the UK so far. So you're almost a, a lone ranger in the field of a four day working week, at least here. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's a great question. I guess the most honest answer I have to give you is I, I obviously don't know. Right. 
On the other hand, I quite like the whole idea of differentiation. You know, years ago, I read a quotation from Richard Branson, which it was, in order to be indispensable, one must first be unique. And it's, it's almost axiomatic. It's true. It's, it's logically true. You can't be indispensable unless you're unique. So I'm happy with us being unique. And if nobody wants to do what we're doing, I'll be even happier. Because it will give us a more robust and enduring point of difference as an employer. And as a marketer, and I spent a lot of my career as marketer, that's gold dust. You're, everyone's chasing the magic that makes them different and special and differentiated because it's really, really valuable. If, if it turns out that Atom's a, a lone ranger in this regard, I'll take that any day of the week. Trouble is, I, I don't think we're going to be alone for very long. And I think the dynamics of the workplace, the competition for talent, the recognition that burnout is a thing. It's not an imaginary thing. It's a real thing. Um, and, that, that, um, and that people want to be able to reshape their lifestyles is going to inform how employers not just want to adapt, but have to adapt one way or the other. Just, just a reminder to everyone watching live as well, you can submit your questions for Mark um, in the box to your right, um, and we'll get to those soon. But I mean, you kind of took the words out of my mouth there a little bit, Mark, for my next question, which is about burnout. It's something that banks in particular and Wall Street has been struggling with all year. But the way that they've decided to solve that has mostly been through perks like additional bonuses, or being able to, you know, get a free Peloton membership. Um, and this is a very different take. How long do you think it will take that for them to really think about perks that reinvent the wheel like a four-day working week? Um, I guess, I guess again, it comes down to philosophy, right? A lot of businesses, and, and particularly digital or modern businesses, are very data-centric models, right? That the joy of this business is you can see a lot more of the cause and effect of the correlations of the reactions. And so you've got a more visceral and real-time connection with what's actually happening in your business. That's more difficult in, in if you like, different, more complex, older businesses, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to go back on that point. But because of that, you have a very, very clear understanding of if you push button A, you'll get outcome Z. And that makes it possible for us to be a little bit more planned and methodical and almost risk contained in how we make changes like this because it reduces the number of unknowns. The other thing to point out is once you've made a decision like this, everyone's got to commit to it being the right decision. And that's about culture. And, and if you've got a strong unified culture, I think you've got a better chance of making that true because we, you know, this could be a really bad decision if people don't commit to it. And that, it seems like an obvious point, but it's a really, really important point because you've got to work to make a four-day week work. Because, for example, meeting, we have a change steering group meeting that I uh, you know, was at earlier today. That used to be a weekly meeting. It's now a fortnightly meeting. That doesn't mean that, that you know, you're down tools and don't work. Actually, it just means that we've changed the governance cadence of the bank. And so, so you're adapting at every level of the organization, how you actually manage your core, manage your business. If you go back to the, the sort of question you asked, which is how long will it take and what types of incentive work? Ultimately, if everyone goes to a four-day week, then it won't stop there. In other words, the nature of competition for talent 
and or for customers is to stay ahead of the competitors. And so if everyone moved to a four day week, I would be thinking about what I could do next. I would be thinking about the other perks, the other benefits, the other ways I can make myself a more attractive employer to people. That's, that's how we progress. I'm not afraid of that. That's what, that's what competition does. It creates better companies. And kind of we've seen this style of working trialed a lot. Like we've seen Microsoft, for example, in Japan said that they had employees who were 40% happier when they transitioned to a four-day working week in a trial, but they decided not to keep that going. That's the main sticking point, I, I think, here is that a lot of businesses have tried this, got positive results, but not enacted it. And I wonder what the case will be for you if you then decide in a few months or years time that actually this isn't working out for you and, and you need to go back to a five-day working week. Well, I don't think you can mess with people's lives. Right? I think when you, when you make a decision as a community, as a customer-oriented business to say we're going to go down this route, as I, to my earlier point, you've got to commit to it. I don't think you can turn around in six months saying, you know what, it's just not working out. We're going to go back. I think we're trying to stay on top of things on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We're not waiting for six months. There are certain metrics, for example, that we're going to have to be very patient about. So long-term sickness, absenteeism, productivity measures. Some of them are not instant asset test measures. We're going to have to build a data set. We won't know, therefore, whether some, some impacts until second half of next year, actually before you've got a big enough data set to say, yeah, this is good, this is working, this is not working. The thing is, throwing the entire process out is highly, it's only gonna happen if you've been asleep at the wheel. Because what we'll do is we'll make adjustments now and in a week's time, in a month's time, in two months time to try and make sure that we adapt to what we're learning. But we didn't do this as some social experiment to say, you know, we're gonna, I just, it's the premise of what you've said that I struggle with, which is, we did this, we found out that, that, that our employees were happier and then we canceled it. And sort of like, what is the logic of that exactly? And I don't understand it, right? Unless there was some dramatic fall off in productivity or there was some risk created or, because that seems perverse almost. It's been my experience in service businesses that if you haven't got highly engaged and motivated employees, you tend not to get highly engaged and motivated customers is very hard to treat an employee badly and expect them to create a great outcome for your company's customers. It's, it's, it's intuitive that if you treat your team well, you've got a better than even chance that they'll treat your customers well. And that's been my experience, frankly, all my life. So, so happy people is my priority. And what would you say to someone who feels that they probably couldn't fit their workload into four days rather than five? But we're not being dogmatic. So if you want to work on a five-day week, you can. But you're still going to, it's still a 34-hour week. So we've not gone all the way down to 28. And some people go, you know, uh, to 30 or 32. We may well get there. Right now, we've gone from 37.5 to 34. But I'm going to keep that under review because if we can reduce the number of hours, we will. Right now, we're going to, you know, we've got to give this time to breathe. And I'm seeing no early indication that we can't run the business successfully on a 34-hour week with our employees. I'm also seeing pretty early evidence that it's a really attractive employee value proposition for new recruits because the number of visits that we've had to our recruitment pages on our website and the number of applications we've had in the last week is quite staggering. Now, clearly, there's an early stage response. 
So we've, you know, again, you've got to normalize the data and you've got to be patient and learn. But, but you know, the early indications are actually really quite encouraging and quite positive. And, and the point I guess to make is, you know, not to arrive at premature conclusions and to be patient. I think it's, it's, it's critically important. And then I guess the, the final question for me is that you just reported your first monthly operating profit and you're planning to take the business public in the next year or two. But how much of this change was motivated by thinking about cutting costs or even to bigger topics like climate change? Okay, so, so firstly, it's not about cutting costs. It's an investment in the bank. At one level, you'd say you're actually investing 7 or 8% more cost in your employees um, and so, so it's as far from cutting costs as cutting costs can be second point is that your employees are your business it's like the most glib rallying cry that a ceo can be guilty of which is you know you're our most important resource the, the fact of the matter is it's true you know atom is 436 or 438 people that's what the bank is other than that it's just a set of contracts and code and the code is not even material if you think about it it's got no physical manifestation so the whole business is the people what could be more important if you're talking about an ipo than that um it is it is i, I make no apology for being glib or for it's almost you know being shallow of course our people are our most important asset they are the asset for goodness sake in regard to um you know the the point you made about profitability actually We've now made money four out of the last five months. We've had our first um, quarterly profit. And, and by the year end, which is 31st of March, um, we think we'll probably be profitable for the whole year on an operating basis. So, you know, again, I'm not seeing any correlation between the success of the business or the failure of the business and something as dramatic as COVID. You know, in other words, you would think, oh, my God, all that disruption must lead to you know, potentially jeopardize your business. Well, yes, that's absolutely been true in some business sectors, but it's not been true in ours. And that, again, it inspires me to say, well, actually, we can push further, we can push farther. Most important for us is to build a reputation for serving customers brilliantly. If at the same time, I can build a reputation for, for serving my employees brilliantly, why wouldn't I? I don't have to be a curmudgeon about this. You know, why wouldn't I do that? Well, of course I'm going to do that because the two objectives are, are so closely aligned. And to me, that's the route to shareholder value. That's, you know, I, I truly believe we're going to, and we are entering an era where values-based, ethos-based businesses are, are going to be more powerful. And the behavior of a company, not just relative to its employees and its customers and its shareholders, but relative to society more widely, is going to be weighed up as a bigger or more important concern. In, in the consequence of COVID, we think we've reduced our CO2 emissions by about 60-65%. And in consequence of a five to a four day week, we haven't measured this yet, but on a sustainable basis, we think that's generally speaking about 23-24% reduction in, in carbon footprint. So, so this isn't just good for employees, but it's actually good for everyone associated with business. And, and also on that, we've had a question from Sunil who's kind of asked about how you then measure a lot of things. But I think one of those would be employee productivity, obviously. 
and is there a kind of a question of whether or not you're transitioning the way you measure productivity through you know it are your outcomes task based or are they outcome based success based um and and how is that working out for you well i think i think the outcome based ones are most important for me so if you look at net promoter scores if you look at customer sentiment scores if you look at app store ratings if you look at trust pilot ratings there's a whole bunch of outcomes right which are about the reputation of your business and that reputation of your business then translates into renewal and then translates into growth so you know it really is at its most fundamental a foundation for your brand and a foundation for everything you want to be but the outputs are also important so for example if i have a team of for example 20 people sitting in a contact center helping people with technology problems i'm interested in the average units per employee so average handling time call response times call losses the orthodoxies of how you're in a contact center i used to do it for a living years ago and I think there's a fairness measure that has to be applied here, especially when you've got flexible working. So those workers are not together. You need to be making sure not just that the general outputs are in line with what you'd expect 20 people to be doing, but that the distribution of the outputs is also fair. So you haven't got somebody sitting there having a fag in the back garden whilst their 19 colleagues are compensating for them. In other words, and that's the point I made earlier about the discipline and professionalism of managing and running a team and running a business. You actually have to be better. You have to be more precise because that's about fairness. I think happier employees and moving from a five to a four day week is not about a license to be lazy. That's not what this is. Yeah, it's about having a commitment on the part of all of your employees, the whole team to shift and transition from one state to another. But it's not at the expense of quality or it's not at the expense of productivity. If anything, the granularity of the measures you need are as valuable to the employees as they are to the managers of the business because they want visibility over their work and they want visibility to ensure that they're not the ones who are carrying an unequal or unfair load. And that to me means that better, more and more frequent real-time data is actually more, more important. Mm. And, and, and Max here has posed a question directly kind of to you in that he thinks customers are demanding expanded hours on evenings and weekends. And unless you are bribing him with significantly higher rates on deposits or lower rates on loans, he would choose to bank with the extended hours bank over one like Atom. Um, do you think you're giving up any business by shrinking your hours for, for employees? I don't think so. So we haven't changed our customer service hours at all. Um, but here's the thing. That, that all businesses get to make a choice. And businesses that presume or believe that they're for everybody are one, rare, and two, not necessarily the right pursuing a, pursuing a strategy I subscribe to. So I'm in an industry where you have something called universal banking. And universal banking is I serve people from nine till 90, and I do all the products and all the services and all the processes, and I do it all. Yeah, and those are the types of models that dominate the industry. The question I would ask is, are they efficient? No. Do they produce high and sustainable returns for their investors? No. Are their employees engaged? Not necessarily. Are their customers satisfied? No. Are they trusted? No. So, so at one level, of course, I respect anyone's right to choose another provider because we do or we don't do what they want. But that doesn't deter me from our mission. Right. I still think we can change banking for good, for the better, for everybody, because I think that the banking industry I'm working in, which incidentally is a nine to five, Monday to Friday, banking industry, multi-channel, isn't very good. And therefore the correlations between cause and effect 
are not at all clear in my view. Well, that's all we have time for today. So thank you for being here, Mark, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow on Biden's big social spending bill. Seth Hannon from the Liberal Center for American Progress and Carl Pomelo from the Conservative American Enterprise Institute will be discussing the Build Back Better Act with the conversation moderated by Market Watch's Victor Reclatus. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.